listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Just one more announcement that wasn't in the, uh, the video. On the 26th of February, we're having our biannual family meeting for members and those pursuing membership. Let me encourage you. A lot of you normally come. If you don't normally come, please do. We have some, some significant announcements and decisions that, that are in the process of being made that will impact our church for the next six, seven years. And so we'd really love for y'all to be part of that, to know what's going on. And so that'll be on the 26th at four o'clock, we'll have our meeting. And then at 530, we'll have a meal for those who are, uh, are wanting to stay and hang out and, and fellowship afterwards. But that's coming up in three weeks from, from today. There's no sports going on at that point. All right, March Madness will have not yet started. Pitchers and catchers haven't happened yet, and the Super Bowl will be over. So uh, it's a good Sunday night, and it'll uh, for you to come out and, and eat together and, and celebrate and pray together. So that's coming up. Put it on your calendars. All right, go ahead and turn to Matthew 24. We have a lot to cover today, and uh, so we need to get started. Next week, there's a, a, a significant football game that I have in, uh, vested in uh, lots. Some of you don't because the Falcons won't smell another Super Bowl for at least 20 years, but that's okay. But I'm invested, um, and here's the thing. If, if you could tell the future, how would that impact the present? If I knew the final score of that game, the angel Gabriel shows up tomorrow and says, Bill, let me just tell you what's gonna happen. And it was in my favor, all right? How would that change today for me or tomorrow? Well, a couple ways. Number one, I think I would talk a little bit of trash, not a lot of trash, because I'm not a big trash talker, but there'd be some talking, There'll be some talking going on, all right? Especially the Cowboys fans uh, haven't been there since the 90s. Let's remind them of that. But, but there'd also be a little bit of ease because I'll be honest with you. Somebody already asked me, so what do you think about Patrick Mahomes? I'm scared to death of Patrick Mahomes. For those of you who don't know, Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs and he is the best quarterback in the NFL. And so you ask me, what do I think about him? I think I hope that he gets the flu is what I think about him. <laughs> In the love of Jesus, all, you know, he may be a believer, so be healed in Christ, but lose. And, and <laughs> because, but see, if I know the end of this game, if I know the final score, I can, and, and I know we win, I can see Patrick Mahomes running around all day long like he does and throwing touchdowns, and it doesn't matter because I already know how it ends. So he can run around all day long and throw us for as many yards as you want. If I know that we win, it doesn't matter. So I won't be worried, but I'm worried. And the last thing is this, and this is just, full cards on the table. If I knew the final score and we won, I can tell you right now, I would be calling Vegas and I would have a bookie. <laughs> and so would you. Don't even pretend like you, some of you already play the billion dollar Powerball and you don't even know the numbers. So don't tell me you wouldn't be, I'd be all in calling Edward Jones, 401k, put it all on them. They're going to cover this. I would go all in. And so would you, if you knew for sure, it's a hundred percent guarantee you cannot lose. You'd go all in, wouldn't you? If you say you wouldn't, you're a liar. That's what prophecy does for us. Uh, th there's a reason that the scripture tells us what is going to happen. It's not so we can build charts and debate it and have you know, all these you know, fun whatever. It's so that we will, because we know what happens, something changes today. And today in our text, we're gonna see Jesus is gonna not predict the future. He's going to tell the future. He's gonna tell us what happens and it's not just so we can say, okay, that's great for whatever. It's so that it impacts today. 
And so what I want to do, we're entering a passage called the Olivet Discourse. We're going to spend three weeks in this passage and probably could spend weeks and weeks more, but I don't want to get caught up in, in eschatology and the study of last things. So we're going to only spend three weeks. But in these three weeks, Jesus is going to tell us what's going to happen in the future. It's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives. Here's a picture from right today. This is modern day Israel. This is the Mount of Olives looking over into Jerusalem. Jesus commonly went there with his disciples. And he is, that's where he's that little dome on the rock is where the temple used to be. And this is where he's going to give this little sermon to his disciples, telling them what is going to happen. Right? And so what we want to ask is, okay, we can know what's going to happen, big picture, but how does it change today? How does it change today? That's what we want to look at uh, this, this week and next week. And so for week one, he's going to talk really about what's going to happen right before Jesus comes back. That's what today is. Next week, uh, Jesus is going to give some responses and Clint's going to unpack those. And then the final week is what's going to happen after Jesus comes back. And so we'll look at that in, in two weeks. Um, so that's where we're going. Let me just say this up front. When it comes to the doctrine of the end times or eschatology, okay, there's a lot of debate in, in the church. And especially if you live through the 80s and the, you know, the left behind series of the 90s and whatever, all sorts of fun debate. That's great. There are certain things that all Christians of all flavors believe in. They believe in the, res- the physical return of Christ and the eternity, uh, the eternal uh, judgment and the final judgment and things like that. There's certain things all Christians agree on which is why in our doctrinal statement, we, we focus on those. And it's the finer points where Christians have some room to disagree. And it's okay. What I don't want is you being like, well, this person believes in this. They're a heretic. Don't drop the H word. Just because someone has a different eschatology to you. That's, those are not essentials of the faith. It's essential to the big picture, the physical resurrection, the this eternal state, heaven and hell, the final judgment. These are, are essentials. But like the when and the how and what it looks like, those things are finer points that Christians have been debating for 2,000 years. And if it was super clear, we wouldn't be debating. But because it is, a, he hasn't given us all the information, he's given us some revelation, there's difference of opinion. And it's okay. It, what's, what's more important is that you stay humble because you might be wrong. And if, you, if you're wrong, when Jesus comes back, you're gonna have to give a my bad to everybody as we're floating up in the air. My bad, my bad, right, you know? <laughs> so, so don't be arrogant with your position, okay? Because in this room, there's a bunch of people that don't agree. Uh, and really the debate, so to speak, is over mostly around Revelation 20, where there's a thousand year kingdom that's spoken of several times. And there's different positions on that thousand year uh, millennium, as it's called. Let me give you the, a big overview of the three positions, uh, and I'll let you know where I land, uh, and, and you can not be judgmental, but... Um, but just so you know, and again, this is going to feel a little theological. If you really want to deep dive in this, you can deep dive all day long. They have YouTube. I watched three, at least two hour debates on these positions this week, just for, just for my own like re-upping seminary kind of remembering. Uh, if you have a different position for me, that's great. You don't need to come up and say, we well, haven't thought about Jeremiah 32. I really have. Uh, you're probably not going to convince me if these PhDs didn't. And that's not because I'm so smart. It's just because I'm overwhelmed with eschatology. So I know you read Left Behind and you're an expert now, but please uh, just hold off on that and pray about that before you come talk to me. All right, here we go. Three positions in the, uh, in the church. First is called post-millennialism. Post meaning after. Here's basically what they believe. And the chart kind of helps you if you can see it. Uh, that there is a thousand year reign of Christ from heaven 
that takes place. And, and the, this, this view basically believes this, that the preaching of the gospel is gonna be so successful and the church is gonna be so successful that eventually things get so great and the church has so much impact that most of the world will be Christian. There's this golden age of Christianity, so to speak, for a thousand years. Right? And it's not a literal temple on earth. The temple is in heaven. Christ is reigning, not literally on earth. He's reigning in heaven. And after this thousand years of gold native Christianity, Jesus comes back. Okay? That, that's a minority view in the church these days. I'll be honest, the Puritans, actually, most of them believed in this, but that was because the gospel is going. So and they go, oh my goodness, look at all this. But now we're like, oh my goodness, look at the world. It's a mess. And so no one believes us anymore, hardly. But there are a few people. But you need to know what's out there. Okay? Post millennial, that Jesus comes back after the golden age of Christianity. Another, uh, one of the big positions is called amillennialism. Uh, not meaning that there, there isn't a millennial, that's kind of a little bit deceptive, more so that it's a, it's a spiritual millennial. That right now, this is the view of amillennialism, and there's nuances, understand, but big picture. That right now, Jesus is ruling and reigning from his throne, and if you were to die today, your spirit would go and be with him in the kingdom, and he would be ruling and reigning right now until one day, Jesus is gonna come back and end it all. Right, this is basically the most simple and, and simplistic view, which is why it's so attractive, because Jesus is ruling right now. The thousand years is not literal. It's just because it's been 2,000 years since he went away, so it can't be literal. But he's ruling and reigning, and then one day, he's just gonna come back and boom, it's over, right? A lot of Presbyterian, Anglicanism, Reformed Baptists hold to this view, okay? Very, very probable view. Uh, here's the third one, premillennialism, that Jesus comes pre, before the thousand years, that that Jesus will return right after a time of tribulation and trouble on this earth, right? That's left behind. Um, and, and he will set up a thousand year kingdom where he will rule reign literally on the thrones in Jerusalem. The 12 apostles will be on his right and his left. At the end of that thousand years, Satan will be loosed for a short time and then it'll end it all. And what makes this view a little bit more tricky is because there's three positions within premillennialism. You have those who think that the church will go through the tribulation period, okay? That's called post-tribbers. And then you have uh, those who think that right in the middle of the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, the church gets removed. It's called mid-tribbers. And then you have those who believe that the church will be removed before the tribulation period. It's called pre-tribulation, all right? I know you're all confused and you can read about it all online. That doesn't come into play as much here because Jesus is not really talking about uh, when the church goes away. He's really just talking about what is the earth like right before I come back? And that's where we're gonna go, okay? If you're wondering, where, are you, where do you fall, Bill? I am a uh, premillennialist, and I hold loosely with about, I'm about 72% sure of the pre-tribulation position. But if I'm wrong, I'll give you a my bad on the way up, okay? So, because I don't hold that with, I hold that very loosely, all right? But why are we even talking about this? Why, why even bring it up? Because the disciples do. So Jesus left the temple and was going away, and his disciples came out pointing him to buildings of the temple. They're like, wow, Jesus, we didn't get to visit Jerusalem a ton in, our, in your ministry. They spent most of the time in the north in Galilee. These are pretty impressive, aren't they? Look at that temple. Look at how big that is. Look how grand this place is. And it was, it was grand. It was a wonder of the world at its time. It took Herod 40 something years to build it. Unbelievable. People came from all over the world to see Herod's temple. But notice Jesus's response. You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one there will not be left here one stone upon another that will be thrown down. He says, don't be too impressed, boys. This place will be rubble. Rubble. Which is a pretty significant statement because Herod's temple was magnificent. Again, this is a, just an artist's rendering, but it's pretty accurate. 
it was huge. Remember we talked about it, 36 acres it covered. Took almost a half a, de- a half a century to build or rebuild or add on to it. It was ornate with gold and, and precious stones. It was fabulous. And what Jesus is talking about here is about 40 years after he is crucified and resurrected and goes back to heaven, Israel is going to rebel against Rome again. Shocker, okay? They are known for their rebellion. They are gonna rebel again And the general, Titus, he becomes emperor later, but he comes into Jerusalem, sieges the city, and eventually destroys the city. And some of his soldiers, they're so mad because they've lost so many of their brethren and their buddies, and it took them so long to conquer, they throw torches into Herod's temple. And all the curtains and all the stuff catch fire, and it burns for days. So that all that gold, see all that gold? It melts down into the stones. And because... They sacked the city, it's theirs. And so what they did is they got all pry bars or whatever they had, and they pried every stone on top of each other to get to the gold, to strip it. And so the only thing that was left when they were done is this called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, as it's made known. And some of you have been to Israel, you see the Orthodox Jews, they're there and praying. That's this portion of the tabernacle or the temple. It's not even part of the temple. It's just the wall that was holding the temple up. That's the only thing that's left. And that's exactly what happened. Exactly what Jesus says. It's happened, happened. And you gotta understand for the disciples, they're like, wait, what are you talking about? The temple is where God is doing his thing. No temple, no Messiah. Old Testament says Messiah will be in the temple. How, how can this be? How can he rule if there's no temple? And so they get to the Mount of Olives. They sit on the Mount of Olives and the disciples Specifically, Mark's gospel says it's Peter and James and John and Andrew. They come up to Jesus and like, Jesus, we're confused. Okay, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. Now, in their mind, they're thinking his coming at the end of the age is like days away, right? He's already ridden into town. They've said, Hosanna, save now. Messiah, Zechariah 14 says Messiah is going to stand on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split and he's going to rule the world and destroy the enemies of Israel. They're like, we're already here. Today? Tomorrow? Maybe we'll wait till next week? They're thinking it's soon. They have no concept yet of death, resurrection, go back to heaven for a couple thousand years and then come back. They have no concept of that. So they're thinking immediate. So they said, when's it going to happen and what's it going to look like right before Jesus is gonna answer the second of those questions, not the first. He's gonna answer the, what is it gonna be like right before I come back? He's not gonna tell them when, but he is gonna tell them what. And what he's gonna refer to is what we often call the tribulation period. I've heard that language, a seven-year period where it will be hell on earth. And he's gonna give a, a big picture description of what it's gonna be like during that 70, that seven years It was prophesied originally in Daniel chapter nine, where Daniel is told 70 weeks or 77s, literally 77s of of weeks, 490 years are decreed about your people. The Jewish people have 490 years to finish it all, to put an end to sin, atone for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness. It's gonna be over in 490 years to to anoint a most holy place. And he gives this description of when this 490 years starts. He says, from therefore, and understand that from the going out of word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to a coming of an anointed one, what's an anointed one? A Messiah, right? A Christ. So the Christ is the anointed one. So understand from the going out of word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to a coming of Messiah will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 483 years. 
Okay, still one week left. That's simple math, 490 minus seven, 483. Do we know when that signing of a treaty is? We do, it's in Nehemiah 2, it's in 444 BC on March 5th. I'm gonna save you the math. You can go back and listen to my old sermon on Daniel 8 and 9 if you wanna get all this unpacked. But if you take 360 days, which is what the Jewish calendar has, and you times it by 440 and 83 years, you get 173,880 days. You take 173,880 days from March 5th, 444 BC, you get March 10th, 33 AD, which just so happens to be the day that Jesus rides a donkey into Jerusalem, okay? So that's the prophecy fulfilled. But here's the problem. All right, so we should only have seven more years. It's been a little longer than that. What happened? Israel rejects their Messiah, and it's as if God from heaven blows a whistle and says, time out. And we've had a 2,000-year timeout for what we call the church age. But one day, God's gonna go, time in, and that last seven years, which is out there like a hanging chad, will begin. And it will be seven years till the end for Israel to repent of their sin, to believe in their Messiah, and God to wrap the whole thing up. That's what he's talking about, all right? There's weeks and weeks of that online. You can go study it, but that's what he's talking about. And so he says, this is what it's gonna look like. Let me tell you. All right, we're gonna fly through this because it's just high level stuff. He said, there's gonna be a lot of deception. See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. There's gonna be all sorts of false prophets, false teachers, and they're gonna do legitimate miracles empowered by Satan himself. I'm not talking about a guy on TV that's like bringing this limping lady along. Look, she can walk now. I'm talking about legitimate, supernatural, demonic powers exercised so that people are healed. That's going to happen during this time. There's gonna be war, right? Wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. This must take place, right? Kingdom is gonna rise against kingdom, nation against nation. There'll be famines, earthquakes in various places. And all this is just the beginning. If you go to Revelation 6 and you put the four horsemen of the apocalypse on top of this passage, the four horsemen are, there's a white horse where one goes out to deceive and then he makes war, the red horse. And then there is, there's famine and pestilence, the black horse. And then there's the pale horse, which brings death. It follows this pattern. Deception, war, pestilence, which is always a response of war and famine and death. And that's just the beginning. So that's the beginning of the birth pains. Those of you who've had children, you get this idea. When you're nine minutes apart, your, your contractions, you're like, oh, that's, that's bad, but it's nine minutes. But what happens? Those puppies start getting closer and closer and you are screaming for your anesthesiologist to come in the room for the epidural because as it gets closer and closer, those labor pains become more intense and more intense and more intense. He said, this is just the beginning. This is nine minutes apart. When it gets to two minutes apart, one minute apart, 30 seconds apart, there's gonna be these things called the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments and it is hell on earth. It's gonna go from bad to worse. That's what's gonna happen. They will deliver you up to tribulation. They will put you to death. You'll be hated from, because of me. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. There'll be false prophets who lead each other away. You think that people hate God now? They're gonna hate him more. You think they hate Christians now? They're gonna hate him more. They're gonna be betrayed. Father's gonna betray, betray son. He says, because of lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. So dad will betray his son. He's a Christian because he wants to escape judgment. Uh, brothers and sisters will betray each other. People will fall away. People will be deceived. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Not that he's saved because he endures. He endures because he's saved. He doesn't 
fall away. Why? Because his faith is real. He doesn't betray his brother because his faith is real. He's willing to die for Christ because his faith is real. And that one will be saved. That is the idea. And, and here, here, the big picture is this. This is not now. We're not talking about now. There's not, Henry Kissinger is not the Antichrist. And, you know, there's not some, you know, that's not what we're talking about. But the more, the closer we get to this, lawlessness is going to grow more. The love of many will grow cold even more. And when we see the morality of, of America and the world move further and further and further and further and further away from truth, it's just setting the stage up from a one world ruler who will deceive the nations and people will follow him. Like you see, you saw this during the last couple of years where people will just blindly follow whatever they don't care. They'll do what, oh, it's whatever's right, I'll do it. Whatever people say, I'll do it. You can see how a generation that has been raised where you are the most important thing in the world, that your truth is the only truth. You can see how that group of people would follow someone like, yeah, whatever. Go with the flow, popularity. I'm not saying it's today, but it's setting the stage for this. It's, it, it could happen at any time. That's what he's saying. And then the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony. Even in the mess, the greatest message ever will still be going forth because God is patient with us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's the point. God is doing all these things to say, it's almost over. Believe in me. I loved you. I came for you. I don't want to pour my wrath on you. Believe in me. And the message will go out and people will still reject it. Then he says this. He goes to a very specific event. He says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place. You who are reading this, Matthew's writing this parenthetically, let, let the le- let, if you see that and you're in Judea, get out of Dodge. You're going Wolverines, you're going Red Dawn. Run if you see the abomination of desolation. So what is the abomination of desolation? That's a fancy word, sounds very exciting, right? No, one, you know, no one's like, oh, I wanna go to the abomination of desolation. That sounds great. Okay, so in Daniel chapter 11, Daniel prophesies of the abomination of desolation. He says, forces from him, whoever this person is, shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up an abomination that makes desolate. And what Daniel is referring to in Daniel 11 is a man named Antiochus Epiphanes, who in 167 BC rode into Jerusalem, conquered Jerusalem, and he on December 16th, which was a Sabbath, went into the temple, killed everybody, slaughtered a pig on the brazen altar and put a statue of Zeus in the temple and he desecrated the temple. That's what happened in 167 BC. But yet Jesus here says, when you see it, run. So what we have here is one of these dual fulfillment prophecies where there's an initial fulfillment and then there's a future fulfillment of abomination. So eventually, this, this has to be still future. Now, some would say, that the abomination of desolation, this is what most amillennialists would say, already took place in 70 AD when Titus came in and sacked the the temple. Possible. But here's why I don't think it is. Several reasons, but one, Titus didn't actually want to even destroy the temple. His soldiers did it. Titus never demanded to be worshiped in the temple. All he did was burn it. Titus never sacrificed anything in the temple. He didn't kill a, a, a pig or anything else or make a false idol. He just destroyed the temple. There, this seems to be something different. And that implies, and this is, this is hard to understand for some of us, especially if you know Israeli-Palestinian-Arab relations, that implies that one day there's going to be a tabernacle or a temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem again, which would be a shocker to the world because right now there is a, a mosque 
and it's not getting, they're not willing to move that mosque. So how is that gonna happen? I have no clue. My gut is whoever the Antichrist is, is such a great leader and such, such a gifted order that he's able to, to convince uh, the Muslims to remove it or maybe the, Israel, the Jews just go in and take it, the mountain. I don't know, but it's gonna happen. You say, how, how do you know? Well, Paul says so, right? Paul reminds us that the day of the Lord, don't be deceived, it hadn't come. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he is what? Takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Titus didn't do this. Hadn't happened yet. Paul says it's still future. Someone's gonna come and get in the temple and say, I am God, worship me. Daniel says who it is. It's this antichrist. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. How long is the last week, that, that tribulation? Seven years, one week. At the three and a half point on the wing of, at halfway through that seven years, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abominations shall come the one who makes desolate. This antichrist, whoever he is, is gonna let the Jews worship for three and a half years in their temple and then at the midway point, he's gonna stop it and say, I am God, worship me. And Jesus, going back to what he says, says, if you see that, run. Wolverines, get out of Dodge. Let the one who was on the house stop, don't go down and get what's in the house. Leave the clothes, leave everything at the house. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Why? Because they can't run as fast. Pray that your flight might not be in the winter because it's cold or on a Sabbath. The roads are closed on the Sabbath in Israel if some of you have been there. For there will be such a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now and will never be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. This is why this is not 70 AD, y'all. Because 70 AD was bad when Titus came in, but he, the, the, the uh, Holocaust from World War II, more people died. Right? And, and Hiroshima and, and the bombs of, of Japan, that was horrible. That, he says, nothing like this has ever happened before. And if I didn't put a stop to it, everybody would have been dead. And I did it because of my people, for the elect. So this is future. This is bad. So if anyone says to you, look, there's the Christ. Or there, there's the Christ. Don't believe it because there's gonna be false Christ and false prophets who will rise. They'll perform great signs and wonders so as to even lead astray, if possible, the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. If they say he's in the wilderness, don't go. If they say he's in the inside room, don't believe it. You'll know it when I come. Why? As lightning comes from the east and shines as the west, so will be the coming of the sun man. You won't miss it. Just like when lightning goes, you can't miss it, you won't miss it. Wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. You drive home, you see a bunch of vultures on the side of the road, you know there's an armadillo, right? It's evident, some dead armadillo. Why? Because the vultures. His point is, you will know it when you see it. Don't go believe in all these false Christs. And then immediately after those, the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of, of heavens will be shaken. What does that mean? I have no idea, but it's scary. It doesn't mean literal stars, Alpha Centauri and the Big Dippers falling onto earth. It's clearly language of observation, but something's going on with the sky. Something's going on with the moon. Maybe it's war, maybe it's, nuclear fallout, I don't know, but you don't want to be there. And then in heaven, the sign of the Son of Man will appear. What is the sign of the Son of Man? I don't know. Early church thought it was the cross, maybe. I don't know what it is, but when you see, people see it, they will mourn and they'll see Jesus, the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And that's more on that in two weeks from now. 
And then Jesus goes back to their question, though. What is it gonna look like? He says, learn the lesson from the fig tree. When its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know summer's near, right? When, when you start seeing flowers, you know it's, it's, it's Puxatani Phil is wrong. No more six weeks of winter, right? When you start seeing uh, Christmas decorations in Target, you know the Halloween is almost there, right? That's the point. When you see these things, it's almost there. This generation will not pass away until this takes place. The people that are alive, they'll see me. And then he closes with this. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Because you can imagine, Peter, James, and John were like mouth on the floor. We just wanted to know when you're coming back. Because <laughs> this is scary stuff. And he's, he's reminding them, look, it may seem crazy and it may seem nuts, but this is more sure than the air you breathe. This is going to happen. This is more secure than the ground you are walking on. My word will happen. This is the final score. This is what the future is going to look like. Game over. And so if you're our guest today, welcome. (laughs) Let me give you a couple thoughts on this. Because it's a tough passage. No one wants to preach this passage. Right? No one, and you know, no one wants to talk about, oh, what's gonna happen in fire and judgment. But Jesus does, and he wants his disciples to know. And by way of application, he wants us to know, not just so we can fill charts with dragons and seals and trumpets. If you wanna do that, fine, but that's not the point. The point is, I have the future so that I impact my present. So let me give you three thoughts on how this impacts our present. And it's related to three thoughts if I knew the score of the game. What's the first one I said? Be a little talking. Just a little, Right? If this is going to happen, and it is, there needs to be some talking and not talking trash. We need to be talking about what God has done for us. Right? This is what we are here for. It's very interesting. So 44 days later, after this discussion, Jesus died, resurrected, showed up multiple times for his disciples. 44 days later, they find themselves in the exact same spot on the Mount of Olives. You know what the disciples ask him? The same question. When? When's this gonna happen? Is this the time? And Jesus gives them the exact same answer. It is not for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father is fixed. But here's what I want you to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And what's the result of the receiving of power? You will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to to the ends of the earth. What is the implication of, of this? It's not that you know when, and you ha- if you have some dude that has some secret Hebrew uh, code that tells you the day Jesus is coming back, don't believe him. He's a liar. Because no one knows except for the Father, right? But it's not your job to know, but what is your job to do? Your job is to be his witness, period, end of story. See, Jesus could have taken the disciples up and been like, okay, guys, that was great three and a half years, let's go. But he doesn't, doesn't. He leaves them here to do what? Be his witnesses. Because the message of the gospel needs to be lived out and needs to be proclaimed. He left you here. He has you. Remember this. You are plan A. You are not JV, middle school team. You are varsity team. You have a purpose. Your life has intent. You are made to do this, to walk with God and help others to walk with 
God. He has you at Gulfstream. He has you at Jenkins. He has you on the South side. He has you all the way in Pembroke. And you're like, why? I don't know. But he has you there because he wants you to point people to him because you are his witness. He has given you the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you is what Paul says. And it's not so that you can feel good about yourself and we can wait and say, I wish Jesus would come back. Yes, we do. But until he does, you are to be a faithful witness. You were to let your light shine before men and women so that they may see your good works and go what? Glorify God. Because y'all, this is horrendous. And you don't want anyone to go through this, even your worst enemy. And you can't convince them, but you can surely live as a light to the gospel and open your mouth for the great things that God has done for you. That's what he wants you to do, right? It's your job. And this is why. This is why the church cannot pander to the culture. We can't make the message of Christ more palpable so that the world's like, well, okay, if we like me, maybe they'll like Jesus. No, we are humble and we are loving but we are confident and we do not move from the rock, which is Christ. And we proclaim that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. And this doesn't change, even if the world moves further and further away, because it will. And the further it gets, the more it's gonna hate what we stand for. But that's okay, because what's the final score? Jesus, a billion, everyone else, zero. That's why we stand on this. But you are called to be a witness. That's why we have prophecy. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing. It's called the tribulation. The thlipsis is the Greek word for tribulation or trouble or oppression, right? Um, You know what I need when things stink? I need a God who is greater than things that stink. I need a God who's even greater than Satan who throws everything he can at God and tries to stop him and and God wins convincingly. That's the kind of God I need when things stink. I don't know about you. And and just so you know, things sometimes stink. There is flipsis in the world. There's oppression, there's persecution, there is trouble. And it's interesting, this passage says, who are the ones that are revealed to be the true believers at the end? Those who endure flipsis. Those who can make it through. So we we don't like I don't even like saying it because it's hard to say, but here's the point. We don't like trouble, but what is it that reveals who we really are? Trouble, right? We don't like that truth. What is it that gives you the strength to endure trouble? You know what gives you the strength to endure hardship and trouble? It's trouble, right? It's trouble. In fact, if, if you're like, Uh, so many of us, you're like, I just need to be more patient. How many of you ever prayed, Lord, just help me to be patient? Don't do it. Because if you're, it's a great thing to pray. It's a fruit of the spirit. We're supposed to be patient, right? But if you pray, God, make me more patient. Do you know what's going to happen? It's, he's not going to be like, oh, Gabriel, go fill up his patient jug. His patient jug's running low. Go fill it up. Now I'm patient. What's going to happen is you're going to get a flat on the way home. You're going to lose your cell phone or your mind because something else happens. Why? Because you're not made more patient when things are easy. You learn patience in hardship. 
And, and the, the point of, of knowing the end, the point of knowing that Jesus wins, even through tribulation, that he is sovereign over it all, is that you can trust him even when there is trouble because he is moving and doing something, right? This is why Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings. How do you do that? Because you know what it produces. So the psalmist says, we walk, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't wanna go through the valley of the shadow of death. We wanna go from mountain to mountain. God, just give me a zip line over that. God, make me strong. Okay, that's a great thing to pray. You know what, how do you get strong? You, you max out until you can't move your arms anymore and someone's gotta help you lift. That's when you get strong. So that's what God's gonna do to make you strong. And, and instead of praying maybe, God, change that person, right? Isn't that what we do? Change their heart. Maybe God's gonna say, change your heart. Right? We don't like that. But, that, but the idea of, of prophecy and knowing what happens is we can trust God in trouble. God, make me a light at my work. All right. It's going to be dark as dark can be then. No, no, no. I don't want that. I just want to be a light. The, the, the darker the dark, the brighter the light. And, and I'm not saying we go seeking trouble, but I'm under, I want you to understand that there is trouble and you can trust in trouble. If God can win over what's going to happen in Revelation and Satan throwing everything he's got at the people of God, at the nation of Israel, at the lamb himself, and he still wins convincingly, you can trust this kind of God, even in trouble. And here's the last one. I told you I'd be having a bookie and I would, and I'd go all in. Where are you going to put your bet? You gonna bet on the Falcons? I mean, you were up 28 to three and they can't even win the game. Come on. And you're not even in the game. You're gonna bet on the team that wins, right? You're gonna bet on the team that wins. And the third idea is this. If you know who wins, then go all in. Then go all in. See, you can go all in on your 401k, but you're gonna lose. You can go all in on your career, but one day they're gonna, they're gonna say, you know what? Here's a watch. Here's a guy that'll work for 50% of what you work and he knows how to use Microsoft Office. Have a nice life. Thanks for your service. You can go all in on your looks, but I can tell you, that's a losing battle, right? You can go on on being liked and, and desired and getting followers. There's always gonna be someone more popular. The, the, the point is this, if you know who wins, go all in. Don't hedge your bets. I'm gonna go on, I'm gonna put half on this and half on this and see how it goes. No, it is not a waste for you to live your life following Christ. 17 year old, 16 year old, listen to me. This is what all your 47, 55 year old parents wanna tell you. It is not a waste for you to start following Jesus now. It's actually a waste to wait until you're 28. It is not a waste for you to be obedient to, to Christ rather than being obedient to the world, to remain purity in your life instead of the immorality of the world, to tell the truth and be honest rather than the lies of the world, to work hard and glorify God with your work rather than to be lazy and try to slide. It is not a waste. It is not a waste to even lay your life down if so be it, if, if you're called to do it. Because as Jim Elliott has been quoted billions of times said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
There's not a thing that God misses when you're doing it for him. And Clint and I will get into this in the next couple weeks because that's where Jesus goes. It's not a waste to follow Jesus now. And so if you're like, yeah, I'll do Jesus on Sundays and Wednesdays. And no, stop hedging your bets. Go all in. And that doesn't mean quit your job, cut off your social media and move to, to Tennessee. I'm not saying that. Nothing wrong with Tennessee. I'm not, sorry, Russ. I, yeah, got you. Got you. The point is this, it, when you show up tomorrow, be a witness, go all in. When you show up tonight, be a witness, go all in. Just be faithful to follow Christ where you're at. That's what it means. Stop hedging your bets. Stop 50 in, 50 out. And when you do fail, because you will, repent of it and go back, move back. That's what we do, right? Because we know this final score. Jesus, a billion, everyone else, zero. Every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So be a witness. Trust this God in trouble and go all in. That's what he's calling us to do. Let me pray and we'll sing. You guys can stand with me. Father, this is a lot, I know, and there's a lot that I don't understand. And I pray that if if I'm wrong on something, that you would uh, still get us to see the big picture that you have left us here to be your witnesses, to be your church, to love people well. And we'll see what that looks like in a couple weeks uh, to, to represent and, and be your ambassadors, to trust you even when things get, get sideways. And then to go all in with our lives, to lay our lives down. You say whoever uh, saves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his, your, his life for your sake will, will save it so that we would be willing to do that. Even if we don't get, lose our physical life, that we would be willing to, to stand up for you, to live for you, to follow you. Pray these things in Christ's name.